Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you still... Do you submit to its roles? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have appearance in, uh, an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Before I get started, I just wanted to say thank you again for the reception last week, being able to sit with all of you and enjoy some amazing spaghetti and meatballs from the chicken ladies was a definite blessing, and Lisa and I felt very welcomed by all of you, and thank you again for allowing us to become a part of your church family. Absolutely love it. On that note, well, really not on that note, that was just a very sloppy transition to the start of my sermon. One thing about being a grandfather is I have a new, endless source of sermon illustrations. <laughs> and when she's old enough, I promise I will ask her permission retroactively for all the times that I've used her. <laughs> but right now, she can't object. So something that we have been working with Maggie on is the principle of asking for help. She'll be, she's 16 months old, and she'll be tired of the shirt that she's wearing. We've all been there. And she wants to get that shirt off. And sometimes shirts don't come off as easily as you would like them to. And so she is struggling with that shirt. And then she does what all of us do in this situation. We just scream in unbridled rage because the shirt is not coming off. And so we'll say, Maggie, would you like some help? And she goes, yes. And she'll start walking towards us. And then, no, I don't want your help. And she will keep striving. Again. She doesn't say, no, I don't want your help. This is her body language communicating to us. And she turns away and she tries some more and screams. And we're getting her to the point where she will ask for that help. But man, she wants to do it herself. Whether it's getting on the other side of the barricades we've constructed around the house in order to protect our possessions, or taking off that shirt, or reaching that food that she wants, she wants to do it herself. And aren't we all kind of like Maggie? <laughs> We, we want to do it ourselves. Oh, thank you. We want to be able to do it ourselves. And it's, struggling, it's a struggle sometimes to reach out and realize this isn't something I can do myself. And the older we get, I think the harder it is to ask for help. Now, when it comes to our own salvation, 
it can be a bigger struggle. Because if we think Christianly about what we just heard read by Mike at the beginning of this service from Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been saved by His work, His effort, not our own effort. But if I'm being honest, sometimes I, I want to be able to do it. It's difficult for me to accept something for free. And the people in Colossae are facing some false teachers who are feeding that negative thought. We're picking up here in chapter 2, verse 16. And you remember last week when Pastor Mike talked about the, the empty and hollow philosophy, the, the Christless philosophies. We're now getting some examples of what the false teachers were throwing down for the people in Colossae. And Paul does something beautiful. He, he does address their false teachings, but he does so by presenting the beauty of the true teaching. So he doesn't go into that much detail. And maybe as Brian was reading, you were hearing what Brian was reading, and you were going, what in the world does this mean? How does this stuff relate to me right now? And then those of you who are more charitable were thinking, how in the world is Steneric going to preach this confusing text? Thank you for your concern. I too have asked this question. And as I've studied the text, what I came to realize is this is very much describing what was going on for the people in Colossae. This is for them. This is very specifically talking about the false teachings and the false commands that were coming from these false teachers that were infecting the church in Colossae. And we're getting just a glimpse into that first century world. And so our task this morning is to take a look at these very specific things that they were facing and think through, well, how are we facing those same things today? We're going to look at it through three different lens, lenses. We're going to look at it through the, the lens of demands, the lens of delusions, and the lens of denial. So starting off with the lens of demands, verse 16, therefore, verse 16, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. How are we doing with that? Y'all good with new moon festivals? Okay, all right, so we can just move on. No, what, what's going on here? So the people in Colossae, several of them were Jewish believers. They were Jewish people who came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they had behind them all this history of how they were supposed to live and what they were supposed to do. And they had rhythms. They had rhythms determined by the calendar year. They had rhythms determined by the harvest year. And they had feasts and festivals that they were to observe. And there were specific commands and instructions and in how they were to observe each of these festivals. Elsewhere, Paul writes to the believers, hey, if you want to observe the festivals, observe the festivals. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. The problem is when you make the festivals the thing that saves you. They don't do that. Don't mistake them. Here, Paul is taking a harder stance because these false teachers were telling these Jewish Christians, hey, you need to lock in on the way you observe these festivals. You need to legalistically do these things just right in order to merit what Jesus has done for you. The, the formula that we're going to see over and over again in this text in Colossians 2 is Jesus plus 
observation of the feasts. Jesus plus observing the Sabbath just right. Jesus plus observing these restrictions on what you eat and what you drink. Those are the things that save you. So Jesus and. The work of Jesus wasn't enough. And Paul is saying, hey, there is therefore no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. And the way he says it here in Colossians, let no one pass judgment on you. Don't let these teachers stand above you and tell you, hey, this is what you need to do, when in fact those things have everything to do with personal choice and little or nothing to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. It became more about the festivals than it did about the person of Jesus. And Paul goes on to say, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It's helpful to remember when the Bible was written. It was written in the first century. What kind of thought was floating around in the first century among the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews? What was the the philosophy of the day? And they were living in a period that was shaped greatly by Platonic thought. And for those of you who here is familiar with the allegory of the cave, who's willing to admit the level of nerdiness necessary? (laughs) So I'm not going to go into detail on the allegory of the cave, but essentially Plato is talking about these people who are essentially imprisoned by their own ignorance. And they're sitting in a cave, and they're looking at a cave wall, and they see shadows dancing across the cave wall. And they believe those shadows are reality. But what do we know? We know that behind those people imprisoned by their ignorance, staring at those shadows, behind them is reality. And behind that is light. And light is shining on reality, and reality is casting a shadow. And here, Paul says, these are a shadow of the things to come. A shadow is less significant than the object that casts it. Jesus is the one who completes. Jesus is the one who satisfies. Jesus is the one who addresses any and every need brought to mind by the shadow. The shadow is nothing. Jesus is everything. So these demands, these demands live this way, practice feasts this way, eat and drink this way, so that you can be a faithful Christian. It's a lie. Why would you live in the shadow world when you have experienced the real thing? We know Christ, and he is enough. So the demands are unrealistic and unchristian. Well, what about the delusions? He goes on in verse 18. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. Okay, once again, what do we do with this? How how do we know what Paul is talking about? Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. What is asceticism? Asceticism are these practices of self-denial. Asceticism is a lifestyle marked by, say, the habits of John the Baptist to wear that that camel skin, camel hair jacket that is scratchy and irritating and eating only the locusts that he finds in the wilderness. It's that high level of denial. And Paul is saying, no, 
No, if people are delighting in these practices more than they're delighting in the person of Christ, you're looking at a lie. You know, one of the classes I teach at Dallas Seminary is spiritual disciplines. And one of the very first things I need to deal with is how do we avoid legalism when we practice the spiritual disciplines? How do we avoid making the Christian life all about the disciplines rather than all about Jesus? And it's a good question because we want to do it ourselves. And the nice thing about the spiritual disciplines is I can make a chart, I can make a graph, and I can give myself a gold star every time I get it right and do it well. And eventually, my pride starts to come from my accomplishments in filling out that chart with gold stars. I had a student in that class several years ago, and we were talking about the discipline of reading Scripture for growth, reading Scripture for spiritual formation. And he was talking about his practice. He said that he has a practice where he spends an hour every morning, over 30 minutes of which are spent reading and contemplating Scripture. And he said, and I have maintained this practice for 768 days without missing one, with a big smile on his face. One of my assignments in that class is to practice some of the spiritual disciplines that you normally don't practice. And so I met with this student, and I said, I have a suggestion for you. I have a spiritual discipline for you that I'd like you to try. Don't read your Bible. And he just stared at me the way that some of you are staring at me right now. What in the world? Why would I tell him not to read his Bible? Well, he made this discipline about the accomplishment of checking that box 768 days without fail. My friend, what you need for your own humility and your own sanctification is to fail, is to take a break, to stop, not because the Word of God isn't living and active, not because the Word of God doesn't speak to us, not because it's not the foundation of our faith and practice, but because you've made it into something it was never intended to be. You made the Bible into an idol. You made the Bible into an object that promotes your self-righteousness rather than the book that points to the one who is righteous. You made the Bible about something to do rather than the Bible about something to which it points, Jesus Christ. Stop reading your Bible. These ascetic practices caused him to be puffed up. We need to be constantly wary of that. What things that are good and beautiful and true have we corrupted by twisting them to make them more about us than about Jesus? See, this text that is very much written to a first-century audience about a very specific situation is not done speaking. It's still speaking to us today. That expression, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, is what the ESV has to say. The CSB puts it, inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. If I were to translate this brutally from the Greek, that the mind of the flesh, the mind that is oriented only on what's here, the mind that is oriented on the self. It speaks of a mind that is devoid of the Holy Spirit. And this creates pride and false religious experiences that seem authentic. I want you to hear that. <laughs> false religious experiences that seem authentic. Things that you and I would look at that person and go, man, look at that beautiful, faithful, sacrificial life that they're living. 
But then if we could examine their heart in the way that the Holy Spirit can, we'd see, oh, this is all about their pride and their self-righteousness. And like Maggie needing to take off that shirt all by herself, them earning their salvation by what they are doing. That might not even be the thought, but that's what it becomes. We need to be on guard about this. These false teachers were assumed to be humble because of their practices, but they are actually consumed by this pride that leads them to a false worship of the wrong thing. Then Paul gives us, instead of the claims of the false teachers, his evaluation of those claims, starting in verse 19. He, this false one, who is holding on to the wrong things for his righteousness, he doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. The Christian has been forgiven, and the requirements of the law have thus been satisfied. So why do we subject ourselves to the requirements of the law as if the work of Jesus was not enough? No one should give in to pressure from others that imply a judgment or a disqualification despite the work of Jesus Christ. Where does this happen today? Sadly, sometimes I think it does happen in our churches. It happens in the ministries that we listen to or the books that we read. And this is what I want you to look for. Is anyone implying by intensity of practice that yes, you are saved by the work of Jesus? But you need to do this. You need to do this to make up what is lacking in the work of Jesus. Nothing is lacking. Jesus is sufficient. He is entirely enough. And this picture that Paul gives us here in verse 19, he is speaking of the church. This place where you and I are sitting right now. This place is the building. Y'all are the church. We are the church. And how are we doing? Are we holding fast to the head? The head is Jesus Christ. Are we holding fast to Him and recognizing that it is from Him that everything else flows? The life of faith, the love that we have for one another, the way that we encourage and lift one another up, the way that we serve our community. Christ is the head, and it all flows from there. It doesn't flow from anything that you need to do that Jesus was not enough for. So does that mean we do nothing? No. No, because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done, we are motivated to live lives like his. We're motivated to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to practice the spiritual disciplines and to serve one another and to reach out into our community. But the difference is, I'm not practicing the spiritual disciplines to make myself righteous. I'm practicing the spiritual disciplines to give glory to God and as a response to what he has done for me. I don't serve others to earn karma points and to move my way up the ladder of salvation. I serve others because I have been served by the King of Kings and he has called me to be like him. This is why I do what I do. Not because somebody is putting judgment on top of me, requiring me, to do more to save myself. He goes on. We talked about demands. We talked about delusions. This idea that we can do it by ourselves. This idea of worship of angels and the being puffed up 
and having these visions, it's, it's not about the ecstatic visions. It's not about the personal experience. I think about the worship either, the commentators are confused and so am I. It's either the worship of angels or worship like angels, but either way, it's a worship that is something to add to the work of Jesus, and that's not okay. And then there's this idea of these, these visions, going on in detail about visions. These false teachers focus on themselves rather on, on Christ, which stunts the growth of their followers. And they focus on these, these private religious experiences. And the thing about a private religious, religious experience, whose is it? It's mine. It's private. And you have your private religious experience. And you have your private religious experience. And that shatters community. It's not about private religious experiences. It's about the corporate joining together as the body to worship our God and Savior as we are doing prayerfully this morning. So going from demands to delusions, now look at denial. Verse 20, we get a reminder from Paul. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as though you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle. Don't taste. Don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. So this can be confusing because Paul here is saying these regulations of denial do not handle do not taste, do not touch. Well, we know that we should avoid the things that are going to corrupt us. We should avoid consuming the things that are going to pull us away and distract us from the beauty of Jesus' work. And this false teacher is saying to be uncontaminated, you need to avoid practically everything and ensconce yourself in a legalistic cocoon. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, said, Eat anything. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Paul has made it explicitly clear that when eating or drinking is done for the glory of God, it does no harm. There's no condemnation. So why would these young Christians listen to these commands of, Oh, no. Oh, don't eat that. That's unclean. Oh, don't, don't drink that. That's, that's going to corrupt you. Don't do any of those things. Here, let me give you a gluten-free, whole-30, kale-only diet. That's what you can live on. And we can all see how undesirable that would be. Right? But, but this flavor of legalism takes away the freedom, the liberty that we have in Christ to enjoy the fullness of what He has given us to enjoy through creation. When Peter was approached with this, this sheet full of delicious things like bacon that were considered unclean through the millennia and who was told to take and eat, he said, certainly not, Lord. Sign number one, you might be thinking the wrong way. Certainly not, Lord. I will not eat that which is common. And the voice of the Lord says, do not call that which I have called clean common. Take it and eat it. We have been set free in Christ. The law has been fulfilled. The restrictions have been lifted. And they are 
locking themselves down with these legalistic principles. So I don't know what's going on in your individual situations, but what are those areas where you are not allowing yourself to live in the freedom that you have in Christ? What are those things that you are legalistically putting walls around your life when in fact those are things that are free to enjoy? I have no idea what that category might be for you, but we need to be thinking about the do-nots. Is that a do-not that is a moral command? Do not murder your neighbor. I just want to let you know, you are not free to murder your neighbor. Do not lust. Do not worship anything as God other than God. Those do-nots versus don't eat that, don't drink that, don't see that, don't do this. Are those things actually safe? Are those things actually freeing? I I heard a story uh, a little while ago where a youth pastor was new at this church and he was excited and he was working with the kids in this youth ministry and they were working their way through a study and he thought, oh, I have a video about a missionary family where they dealt with this exact thing and it's so inspiring. So he showed the video to the kids. And the elders pulled him aside and said, what did you do during youth group? Oh, I I showed a a video. Stop you right there. You showed a what? I, I showed a video about a missionary family. How did you think that was okay? Well, in the past, I I saw that you were using slides and pictures to show things, so I assumed it would be absolutely fine for me to show a video. He said, no, no, when it's still, it's fine. When it's moving, you're sinning. You can't have moving pictures. It's like the pastor who was working in North Dakota and he needed to be able to get to church on Sunday, but there was a blizzard and the roads were completely closed and the only way he could get to church was by skating across the frozen lake to the church. And so he skated across the lake, he made it to church, he preached his sermon, he walked into the back and the elders were waiting for him and they said, we heard that you skated on the Lord's day. What were you thinking? Well, if I didn't skate, I couldn't make it to church. So they talked amongst themselves and they turned and asked him the question, did you enjoy yourself when you were skating? (laughs) No. Okay, then you're fine. (laughs) This, This is the type of legalism that brings death. It does not point us to Christ. It points us to our own pride at being able to stick by a set of rules that don't fit, that don't apply. These are things that all perish as they are used. The problem is we can worship the rules or our theological constructions more than we worship Christ. What is the object of your affection? Your obedience or your Savior? Savior, then obedience. Not obedience, so that we merit the Savior. We can get the order so backwards. It closes, although these things have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. These denials only serve to drive you deeper into addictions of the flesh. If we set our goals as self-discipline, self-awareness, self-fulfillment, self-esteem, self-actualization, or self-help, what do you wind up with? 
worship of the self, worship of what we can accomplish. May we be more like what Maggie is becoming, one who is willing to ask for help when they need it rather than screaming in rage that we can't do it ourselves. Friends, when it comes to our salvation, we can't do it ourselves. When it comes to standing righteous before the throne of God, we can't do it ourselves. In fact, we can contribute nothing to that. When the Father looks at us on that day, He is going to see the righteousness of His Son, not the works of me or of you. May we always keep our priority straight. How many priorities can we ever possess? One. And may that be our affection for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are a people who long to satisfy our desires by getting things done on our own. I pray by your Spirit we might be a people who recognize that we have been saved fully by the work of Jesus Christ and by nothing that we can do. We have been called to lives of obedience and worship and service, not for the sake of earning, but for the purpose of worshiping. May we truly be a worshiping community, making Jesus known by the way that we live, the way that we serve, the way that we walk. Protect us against the desires of the flesh, both those desires that make us consume those things that we should not in excess and those desires that make us the arbiters of our own salvation. We thank you for the precious gift of Jesus in whom we have our hope, our life, and our joy. We pray this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.